This is the podcast by the Straits Times. Very good afternoon, and welcome to the first of the Straits Times monthly webinar series. I'm David Fogarty, ST's climate change editor, and I'm the host and moderator of today's session. Today's topic is on sea level rise and coastal protection, a topic some might feel is a problem for the future, but is in fact very much a threat today, especially for so many of Asia's coastal megacities and low-lying island nations such as Singapore, the Maldives, and the many islands of Indonesia and the Philippines. So the big question for today's discussion is, how big a threat is sea level rise and what can we do about it? To find out, we are very fortunate to have a wonderful panel who will look at this and discuss some of the solutions at hand. But first, allow me to share some housekeeping matters with our audience. This session will be approximately 45 minutes. Uh, for those who have submitted their questions ahead of this discussion, thank you very much. We'll try to address your questions uh, most likely towards the end of the discussion. Uh, for those who are joining us via Zoom, please do send us your questions by clicking on the Q&A icon uh, on your Zoom screen. Uh, and the recording of this session will be made available online on the Straits Times website uh, later today. Now, our distinguished panelists today are Professor Benjamin Horton, who's the director of the Earth Observatory of Singapore at the Nanyang Technological University. Welcome. Next, we have Dr. Zeng uh, Yiwen, Senior Research Fellow at the NUS Center for Nature-Based Climate Solutions. And next is Hazel Koo, Director of the Coastal Protection Department at PUB. Welcome. Now, sea level rise is very much in the news, especially with news of fast melting of ice caps. Almost every week, there is new research updating projections of how much sea levels will rise this century and beyond, uh, depending, of course, uh, greatly actually on how much and how aggressively mankind reduces our greenhouse gas emissions because this is ultimately a problem caused by mankind. So welcome to the panelists once more. Um, so let's kick off this discussion with uh, Benjamin. Could you start off by explaining why sea levels are rising um, <clears throat> and what are the latest projections for this, uh, for this century and beyond? Well, sea level rise is a complex problem it's driven by a variety of local, regional and global processes. The two major drivers on sea level rise in the 21st century will be a mass change and a volume change. If we increase our atmospheric temperatures by producing more greenhouse gases, those increasing atmospheric temperatures are transferred into the oceans. When oceans warm up, they occupy a greater volume and sea level goes up. And that process has been responsible for 30 to 40% of the sea level rise of the 20th century. The second major driver is a mass change. If you increase your atmosphere and ocean temperatures, the land-based ice on our planet, glaciers, ice caps, and the ice sheets will melt, increasing sea level rise. In the 20th century, it was glaciers that dominated. But what worries the scientific community is the melting of our land-based ice sheets, Greenland and Antarctica. They are colossal in size. Greenland has enough water within it to raise global sea levels by six meters. Antarctica has enough water within it to raise global sea levels by 65 metres. So you only need a melting of a small percentage of Antarctica to have devastating effects worldwide. Regarding projections, well, sea level science is a rapidly evolving science. So the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, their last uh, global assessment was back in 2013. And they suggested that sea level rise, if we keep our emission trajectory, would be around one metre higher than today by the end of the 21st century. But as I said, it was evolving. And as you illustrated, there's continually new science. So for example, the Earth Observatory of Singapore produced a paper last year that said by 2100, the upper estimate is not one meter, it's 1.3 meters. And by 2300, a colossal five meter rise in sea level. Now, of course, sea levels have already been rising steadily, certainly in the past century. Uh, they're roughly about 20 centimeters now, 
uh, you know, they've risen about that level in the past century, and I think about half of that since 1993, according to NASA. So now a 20 centimetre rise might not sound a lot, but it's already causing widespread impacts. So uh, again, Benjamin, could you perhaps briefly explain why a small rise is still a problem? And then Hazel, could you put this in the context of Singapore in terms of impact so far? And then uh, UN perhaps add your thoughts as well. Well, sea level rise, even in the smallest amount, can have devastating effects. It contaminates our freshwater aquifer, influencing water security. It floods our agricultural fields, changing our food resources. And it has a significant impact on the magnitude, extent, and what we would call a return period, or how often a large magnitude storm occurs. So some work that we did at the Earth Observatory of Singapore was to look at one of the most famous storm surges that ever made landfall, and that was Hurricane Sandy, which barreled into New York City in 2012, causing hundreds of lives that were lost and over $70 billion of damage. So at the Earth Observatory of Singapore, what we investigated was how often would that event have occurred without sea level rise? What is the current return period and how often would that event occur in the future as sea level rises accelerate? And the results were alarming. Prior to the Industrial Revolution, where we had no sea level rise, an event like Hurricane Sandy occurred once every 500 years or once in every seven generations. Because of sea level rise, statistically, an event like Hurricane Sandy today occurs once every 50 years. But if we keep accelerating sea level, because that is the baseline on which tropical cyclones and hurricanes land upon, it will be once every five years by 2050 and will be an annual event by 2080. An event that causes hundreds of um, lives lost and billions of dollars of damage would be an annual event within around 60 years for New York City. Mm. So like what Ben has shared earlier, yeah, we are expecting a rise in mean sea level up to about one meters by the end of this century. And if we were to include the tidal effects as well as the surge components of sea level rise, we can expect that um, extreme sea levels could be as high as four meters or even five meters in Singapore. And the impact and damage will definitely be devastating and therefore that calls for action now. Yeah. So if we were to bring it back to the coastlines of Singapore um, and the city East Coast stretch, we can expect that um, East Coast Parkway could be partially submerged and uh, even like uh, landmarks like um, the Sports Hub will also not be spared. I think the reason for this is because uh, Singapore is a low-lying city and about 30% of our island is less than 5 metres above mean sea level. Yeah, so I think uh, we are vulnerable to the effects of uh, um, mean sea level rise yeah, and we will need to be prepared for this scenario. And I think from a nature point of view, it's not just um, human habitats that will be affected by sea level rise. Nature places such as mangroves, they are also they also be affected by it, not only from the storm surges like Ben mentioned, but as well as um, just being submerged and changing the hydrology itself of the mangrove areas. So this affects mangroves, this can also affect places like seagrasses, habitats like seagrasses. Now, of course, Singapore is a long way from Antarctica and Greenland, which I think is uh, going forward will probably be, be the main source of sea level rise. Uh, and some people think faster melting there might not affect Singapore quite so much. Uh, but that's really not the case, is it? It's uh, regions far from a melting ice sheet will still experience sea level rise, and in fact, a sea level rise greater than the global average, if that's correct. Perhaps, Ben, you could, you could take that on. Well, yes, I think people in Singapore think that what's happening in Greenland or Antarctica, which is 10,000 kilometres or so away, will remain in these high latitude locations. But it's qu quite simply not true. The changes in Greenland, the Arctic and Antarctica influence the weather, they influence the climate, and they will influence sea level here in Singapore. As I explained previously, they're going to be the big contributor in the 21st century because they're so large. 
But the other thing to think about is something that is so large has a huge gravitational mass. So Antarctica is twice the size of Australia, which means it's 20,000 times the size of Singapore. It's two to three kilometers thick, so it exerts a huge gravitational pull. It pulls the water towards it. If you lose that mass, the water flows away and you get a greater rise in sea level in regions that are distant from these ice sheets, such as the tropics. So at the Earth Observatory of Singapore, we've been running some models that suggest that if, for example, Antarctica contributes one metre of sea level rise in the 21st century, Singapore would receive around 30% greater than the global average at 1.3 metres. That's quite shocking. Um, Hazel or Yiwen, would you like to, to add anything to that? No, I think... Um I guess in addition, because this region would suffer so greatly, mm. we also contain or we also house a lot of natural habitats like mangroves, right? These mm. are largely tropical um, habitats. So that means that these habitats will be, um, I guess, more affected than other possible habitats. Yeah. Yes, in fact, I wanted to ask you uh, just on that very question about the impact on coastal ecosystems such as mangroves uh, in this region. Um, at the current rate of sea level rise, which is roughly about four millimetres, and if emissions projections uh, go the way they, they are, unless, unless there's deep cuts uh, very rapidly, four millimetres will increase to, by year, will increase to five millimetres and so forth. Can uh, mangroves and, and, and other coastal ecosystems sort of manage with that sort of uh, increase, or will it start to sort of basically swamp them? So, so that's a very good question. Technically, nature is very adaptable, right? So mangrove habitats actually have the ability to move further inland as the water rises. Same with seagrasses as well, they can move around. But the problem is when we develop areas behind the mangroves, so when we develop the, the land areas, that serves as a barrier and that blocks all these habitats from moving further inland to adapt to the sea level rise. So in this way, they're definitely under threat. And plus, if you add on the potential for storm surges and changes in hydrology, that um, would make these habitats at risk. Yeah. Now, of course, if we don't cut emissions fast enough, um, what will the future of the region look like uh, by the end of the century? Um, you know, and what could be the human and financial costs? So we all, we've already got a sense of that from the, the Singapore government. The Prime Minister, in Lee Sin Long in 2019, said that around $100 billion or more might be needed over the long term to protect Singapore against rising sea levels. Exactly what that program will look like, I think that's still, uh, that, that's up for future discussion. But can I ask all three of you perhaps to give your views on the financial and human costs, if, if, you know, if that's sort of known, um, starting with Benjamin? Well, I think the Prime Minister of Singapore was very correct in stating that sea level rise and climate change is an existential threat to mm. Singapore. And as Hazel said, that's because 30% of our island has a low elevation that would be subject to flooding if sea level rises were one metre or greater. So we have to adapt to climate change and sea level rise. But I've always advocated that you need to understand the science first before we think about adaptations. Unfortunately, here in Singapore, the government has reacted. We have the National Sea Level Programme sponsored by MND and NEA. And this is bringing together the best scientists here in Singapore to understand all the local, regional and global processes. So we can accurately project future sea level rise, but importantly, not only the magnitudes, the rates. What worries climate scientists is how fast things are changing because Quite simply, our Earth has been warmer than today and sea levels have been higher than today, but not at these rates. So if we're going to think about hard engineering, nature-based solutions, we need to think about how resilient they are to the rates of change that we are going to have unless we get at the root cause, which is mitigating and removing the carbon dioxide from our atmosphere. I think carrying on from what Ben has shared, uh, I think given Singapore's land constraints, yeah, um, 
we do not have an option not to do anything about it because there's nowhere for us to retreat to, mm. basically. Yeah, so I think it is important that we start to prepare ourselves yeah, for, for these scenarios and uh, we want to actually look at how we can defend Singapore's coastlines to put in measures simply to keep the rising sea levels out. Yeah. So, um, uh, like, like what you have mentioned, um, the Prime Minister has mentioned that 100 billion or more will be probably be required in the longer term and a new coastal and flood protection fund has actually also been announced by Deputy Prime Minister Heng Sui Kiet in Budget uh, 2020. Yeah. And this CFPF is uh, with the initial injection of actually $5 billion will be used to fund uh, coastal protection measures as well as uh, drainage infrastructure to improve and enhance Singapore's flood resilience. So PUB, as we have taken on the role of the National Coastal Protection Agency, our mission has expanded from uh, just taming storm waters to also look at uh, how we can protect and safeguard Singapore against rising sea levels. And we do this holistically to look at the, to consider the effects of um, more intense rainfalls inland as well as the rising sea levels. So this CFPF uh, that is established under PUB will support this en endeavour and we will invest the funds to carry out studies and to implement coastal protection measures as well as drainage infrastructure. Mm. Yeah, I think just to add on to that, um, engineering solutions are definitely one very important component, but at the same time there is a potential for nature to reduce some of these costs in certain areas. So habitats like, like mangroves of course, they can buffer storms, they can um, they can accrete um, or rather build up sediment to increase sea levels in certain areas. So the potential is there for it to be a cheaper nature-based option. But of course, this is always not applicable everywhere. Right? Um, we, some areas would need definitely hard structures to prevent or protect against sea level rise. Yeah, so possibly nature can be a cheaper alternative in some areas. Yes, so that's, that's, that's a very good segue, uh, UN. So in fact, I wanted to, to turn the discussion more now towards solutions. Um, um, just, just to pick up that on, on, on Hazel, you've, you've already shared some of what Singapore's doing uh, in terms of trying to increase resilience of coastlines and preparing for progressively rising seas. Um, maybe share some more details about the current studies that PUB is doing, for example, I think looking at uh, and analysing the most vulnerable parts of Singapore's coastline, I think such as Jurong Island and the city in East. Mm. Um, I think those, uh, I think it's at Jurong Island, the study starts first, and city in East. So tell me more about those, yeah. those, uh, th those studies and what, what you think the uh, conclusions will be or what they might lead to. Mm, okay, so actually over the years we have actually put in place measures to protect Singapore from uh, coastal erosion as well as uh, inundation from flooding and currently over 70% of our coastlines are already protected by uh, engineering structures like uh, stone embankments as well as sea walls. And since 2011 we have also raised our reclamation levels um, to at least uh, 4 metres above the current mean sea level, up from 3 metres. So, um, for major infrastructure, critical infrastructure like the Jurong Port, yeah, uh, uh, sorry, Tuas Port, Tuas Port as well as the Changi Airport Terminal 5, we have actually set the platform levels to 5 metres above mean sea level. So, this will actually protect and, and already enhance the, improve, uh, the, the flood resilience against the rising sea levels. But you know, as we look at um, just setting higher reclamation levels, I think it is easy to do um, for new lands that we are creating. But we have to be mindful that for um, the platform levels of existing development, that will take time yeah, to keep pace with uh, sea level rise. So uh, what we will indeed need to do then is to put in place uh, coastal defence barriers to keep out the sea. And um, uh, we are, we are um, looking at, first of all, uh, the city east coast as well as Jurong Island because they have been identified to be more vulnerable and critical. Um, based on factors like um, the cri criticality of assets within the coastal region as well as um, the potential impact of the flood event um, and even opportunities to dovetail with development. So by the end of this year, uh, or rather in this year, we will actually be embarking on these studies to, 
to develop strategies specifically for the southeastern coast as well as Jurong Island to see what measures we can put in place. So I think we have talked about like, you know, engineering um, solutions um, and I think this can come in the form of um, seawalls, dikes, dams. Yeah, and these are measures that we will definitely look at. But I think we are also open yeah, to look at uh, other measures, soft measures, green measures um, that includes the planting of mangroves. Yeah. So um, as, we, as we look at all these, you know, like variety of measures, I think what is important is that we want to also um, consult extensively. We want to be able to consult experts in the area and also the community and relevant stakeholders to make sure that the proposed measures that we come up with eventually will integrate well with development and we will also consider multifunctional users with recreational spaces and even uh, create more community spaces for the enjoyment of Singaporeans. I think uh, what, what Benjamin has mentioned about um, the uncertainty of uh, sea level rise, mm. I think we are mindful of that. Yeah, so I think even as we approach it, we, we want our strategies to to remain flexible you know, to the different uh, climate scenarios that uh, we can be informed of by climate, the advancing climate science. Mm. Mm. Yes, yeah, so nature-based solutions I think is something that I think a lot of people are interested in. Uh, in uh, mangroves uh, is one, I think, that as you say, that may or may not work in some places in Singapore. Um, there are some areas of existing mangroves which are now being protected, which is great. Um, <clears throat> do you see scope for expansion of of, of mangroves and uh, in Singapore and, and what other nature-based solutions could there be? What, what would they look like? So in Singapore, I guess it's a bit um, potentially limited, right? Because Singapore is land scarce in general. Mm. But when we think about nature-based solutions, um, we tend to think, along about, think of it along two main lines. One is the adaptation portion and one is the mitigation portion. Mm. So the adaptation portions allows us to deal with some of these climate change effects such as sea level rise or storm surges. It allows us to, if we protect a certain patch of mangroves or restore a patch of mangroves. That allows it to buffer the, the rains, the different conditions that we will face. But at the same time, these habitats tend to be very good um, storers of carbon. So they take in carbon dioxide through photosynthesis and everything and it brings it into the ground. It also stores the sediment and it locks the carbon within the ground. So what this does is that it gets to a bit of the root of the problem, which is CO2 emissions, right? Mm -hmm. Increasing CO2 emissions. By reducing some and sequestering some of this carbon, we actually sort of attack the main root of this issue. Yeah. So outside of Singapore, of course, um, you know, in the region in Southeast Asia, I guess nature-based solutions would be particularly critical for Indonesia or Malaysia, Philippines, uh, areas where they have, I guess, more room for nature to move, right? Okay. So I, I would have thought restoration of, of coastal uh, landscapes back to sort of a natural state would be something that these governments would be looking at. <coughs> Pardon me. Yeah, so, so, yeah, of course, um, within Singapore, it's a bit limited, but across the region, especially within Southeast Asia, this is a very important solution, right? Because there's a lot of green areas that are currently under threat. And the idea is that if you um, go in and protect these areas, stop development, this um, reduction of emissions, because otherwise, this, all these, if you cut down a forest, the emissions will have been released, like through, yeah, through forest fires or through the different use of the wood substances. So, so the idea is that by protecting these areas, you can actually um, help mitigate some of climate change mm. itself. Yeah. So it's a double benefit, basically, protecting Correct. the coastline <coughs> and soaking up a lot of uh, carbon dioxide as well, um, just as nature does uh, exactly. uh, normally. Yeah. So I guess just um, a last question before we head to uh, uh, taking some questions from the audience. So just bringing it back to, uh, to Singapore, I guess, you know, if we don't cut emissions in time, uh, we will likely face several meters of sea level rise, uh, maybe not this century, but in subsequent centuries. Um, so is there a limit to coastal defenses? Um, you know, is, do we, uh, is there a limit of say two or three meters and then beyond that it gets too difficult and then uh, what's, what's, the, what's the only solution? Uh, a managed retreat um, or building HDB estates on stilts of five, six or seven meters or something. Yes. Um, Basil, maybe you want to uh, take that tricky question yeah, first. Okay. 
Um, PUB is actually working very closely with the Centre for Climate Research Singapore or the CCRS, mm. yeah, who is also building itself as a regional centre for tropical climate science. So as we have heard what Benjamin has shared earlier, climate science is really a very complex subject and there's like a lot of multiple factors yeah, that, that uh, actually impacts it like the melting ice sheets from Greenland as well as Antarctic. Yeah, so as we, as we approach a coastal adaptation, I think we are mindful of the uncertainties that we are facing and um, that's why CCRS is looking into the climate science yeah, behind all these uh, sea level rise factors. And they are taking reference from the Intergovernmental Climate Change um, Assessment Reports on the latest global projections on sea level rise. So they will carry out the National Climate Change Studies to have a better understanding of uh, climate science as well as sea level rise projections that will be affecting Singapore as well as the surrounding regions. So what Singapore is, uh, what PUB is doing is we are developing the coastal inland flood model, which will then take this, uh, which will use this uh, sea level rise projections to carry out our risk assessments as well as for our adaptation planning. Yeah, so this will better inform us. Yeah, what what is the current and what is the latest uh, uh, sea level rise projections that we could adjust and adapt our our uh, strategies so that we remain you know, ahead yeah, of, of what we know is coming towards us. But Singapore can't really retreat anywhere, can it? Except maybe on top of Bukatima, so for example. <laughs> so um, this is a real, a real challenge, as the Prime Minister said, an existential threat. So um, other countries, bigger countries, of course, can retreat inland. Even where I come from, Australia, people are already under pressure to no longer build houses so close to the coast, mm. um, or they won't get insurance, for example. But that's a very difficult prospect for, for Singapore where it's just so land scarce so um, I, I guess I can't really put you on the spot by saying you know, are we, is Singapore eventually going to retreat into Malaysia for example but I don't think that it's an option for us yeah, yeah. so I think uh, PUB we are on top of this mm. and therefore we are actually uh, looking at coastal uh, barriers or defenses that we can put along the coastlines of Singapore and we will do it progressively so we will we will want to see how we can actually uh, actually approach this and see how we can improve take the opportunity to improve and enhance even our coastal areas like what what Ewan has mentioned earlier mm. like uh, there's there's a lot of potential that we can put uh, we can uh, create value more than just meeting the objectives of coastal protection mm. we can create an environment for the enjoyment of people and we can also uh, look into how we can enhance or even restore biodiversity yeah. along our coastal and marine environments. So I think as we approach this, um, we, I don't think we will retreat yeah, massively in that sense. Yeah, and um, therefore, uh, we will have to work together um, and acknowledge that uh, sea level rise threat is real to Singapore mm -hmm. and we will need to take action today. And uh, therefore, we need the support of uh, everyone in Singapore yeah, to see how we can make the best out of this. Mm. Now, of course, Holland uh, or the Netherlands is a country that we're all familiar with. Um, much of that country is, <coughs> is, pardon me, is below sea level. So they've already come up with some ideas of mm. floating houses. Um, uh, obviously, they've got a, a very impressive sort of dike system. Um, could we see in the future perhaps a floating airport or floating townships? Or, I mean, it, it's... Um, there's all sorts of creative solutions out there. I don't know, Benjamin, is, have you sort of looked at this area of, of, in terms of, ex I wouldn't say extreme adaptation, but um, well, well, perhaps more extreme than what we're used to at the I, moment. I think you need to return to the problem. I mean, global sea level rise is, by its very nature, a global problem. Mm. We live along our coastlines, we work along our coastlines, our resources along our coastlines. Unfortunately for South and Southeast Asia, we are the most vulnerable area on the planet. That's because of a high density population, low-lying areas, island archipelagos. It means that by the end of this century, some 500 million people will be at threat from sea level rise. So we need to think about adaptations and you can do three things that have sort of been explained. You can stop the water coming in, 
that's hard engineering building seawalls. You can live with the water, that's by raising structures, or you relocate. Singapore does not have that option. So it's got to think about how it protects its shoreline, how it manipulates its infrastructure. But I would say that if we don't get to the root cause and reduce greenhouse gas emissions, it's an existential threat. There's, it's called an existential threat because the threat are these two huge ice sheets that are very, very susceptible to an increase in temperature. So you need to remove the greenhouse gases to slow down the rates of rise, then we can adapt, then we can live along a coastline, we can work along our coastline, and our ecosystems can thrive. But if we don't get at the root cause, your adaptations are meaningless. Yeah. Ewan, you want to add a, a final thought to that? Yeah, I, I think I agree with a lot of the things that have been said. Um, yeah, I think from... that, that I guess one of the things I missed out was also that um, with, with there's a value, there's a, there's a non-monetary value to protecting our coastlines and to, to protecting the natural ecosystems on the coastline as well, as mm -hmm. he mentioned. There is the idea that people can use this space, right? And there's, we need to sort of deal with this because we need to ensure that people can use nature areas as well and gain all the benefits. There's also the other, um, you know, like mangrove supports fisheries. So that affects food production, that affects people's lives. So yeah, there's all of these factors that we need to consider as well, yeah. Okay, look, this has been a great discussion, um, but now we'd like to turn our uh, attention to the, some of the questions from the readers who had uh, submitted questions earlier. Um, so the first question um, comes from uh, an ST reader uh, or resty readers, I should say, uh, my apologies, because uh, yes, we had a number of questions uh, on, on this same subject. Uh, what are some of the things that individuals can do to prevent sea level rise? I think this, uh, I think we had quite a number of questions for people saying that they were very uh, worried about the problem, uh, but they wanted to know individually what they could do about it. So perhaps um, start off with Hazel, and then uh, Yuen, and then Dven. I think I will, I will uh, approach this question uh, more to, to what we are doing in Singapore in terms of our coastal adaptation. I think it is very important for Singaporeans to understand, as we have discussed during today's session, that uh, the threat of sea level rise is real and understanding you know, how, how uh, uh, sea level rise could impact Singapore, uh, hopefully yeah, with the understanding, you can uh, also take on a more participatory role. Yeah, as we develop some of these measures, we want to hear from the community, from the stakeholders, as to what we can do together to reshape our coastline so that uh, uh, we can remain uh, sustainable and we will continue to thrive. Uh, yeah. So I think individually, uh, we want to welcome your participation to come forward, yeah, to, to share with us ideas and, and, and new, new things, innovative uh, things that we can do. I think like what Ben mentioned earlier, one of the main things we have to do is to actually reduce emissions. Mm. On a personal level, on a corporate level, whatever, but the idea is we have to reduce emissions, right? So that can be changing our, the way we live our daily lives, mm. right? Maybe taking more public transport or something like that. But at the same time, there are you know tree planting initiatives. There are a lot of all these stuff ways to get involved in nature and to to try to I guess feel the value of nature as well. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think, and this webinar is an example of this. Is the key is education. Mm. If you understand what the problem is, as an individual or as a community or as a government or as a multinational, you're more likely to act on it rather than being told what to do. Mm. So here in Singapore, we need to understand why sea level rises, what the root cause is, mm. and what we can do to combat it. So it is greenhouse gas emissions. So as an individual, we need to think about living more sustainably. So it's commonly said about here in Singapore that we only contribute 0.1% of the global carbon budget. But as an individual, 
our carbon emissions are quite high. They're twice the global average. Each individual in Singapore consumes twice the global average of the amount of carbon. And if we're going to lower emissions, each individual in Singapore, as an average, needs to reduce their carbon emissions by around 75%. That can't happen tomorrow, but as an individual you can think, how can I reduce my carbon consumption over the next year by 5%? Mm. And what is that? Is that vegetarian meals a couple of days a week, public transport, using a bike, switching off your electricity, and you can start to lower your own carbon footprint. And then as a community, we can think about what projects there are to allow us to work with nature. I mean, I think to do with the pandemic, what we've realised here in Singapore is how important our green spaces are. So let's preserve them, let's enhance them, because there are so many benefits to do with your health, to do with air quality but also to do with the ability of our nature-based solutions to withdraw carbon out of the atmosphere and store them in the ground. So I think it's all about education. I'm bound to say that. I work at one of the best universities in the world at NTU. We have this unbelievable body of undergraduate students. Our generation needs to give the young generation time to find the solutions to climate change. And that's living responsibly, sustainably, reducing your consumption, recycling and reusing. That's great. Yes, I think we should all take um, a bit of a, <laughs> a tip from that. I think there's all you know, lots of things individually that we could do. And, and of course, collectively, it does make up. Uh, it makes a difference. It makes a huge difference, yeah. Um, so here's, uh, here's a question from Thomas So. Um, this might be more for you, I think, uh, Hazel. Uh, will there be public engagement to co-create uh, climate change and coastal adaptation solutions? So I guess this is about public consultation. Yeah, so I think as we as PUB embark on the site-specific studies, especially for the City East Coast, which will be rolled out first uh, at the later part of this year, um, the intention is for us to consult the public and with experts uh, extensively yeah, so that we can uh, together develop the optimum measures for the coastlines and even if we look at the city east coast stretch we realize that there are very uh, different land users you know leading from uh, the greater southern waterfront through to east coast and to Changi area so i think um, the intention is for PUB to consult extensively and to work with uh, the community and stakeholders to develop these uh, coastal adaptation measures together. I guess, uh, I, yeah, I guess maybe that's probably not really a question for you two. I guess because it's more. I mean, I, I guess probably for you, Ben, because you do, you know, you have students, right? So, in terms of educating them, you know, in terms of. Um, adaptation sort of measures and so forth. I mean, what, what, would, you, what would you say to them? Well, I think um, what I have been very pleased to see at uh, NTU is now that every undergraduate that enrolls in a programme, whether they're in engineering, one of the core sciences, social sciences, arts, business, medical, they all have to take a course on sustainability. Mm. They have to now think about how they value this planet. They have to think about how they're going to enable future generations to have the same opportunities that we did. And so now you've got this incredibly educated workforce that understands the value of nature. And then when they go on to their further employment, be it in engineering or the sciences, in business, in law or in medicine, they're aware of how the earth interacts. It's our lack of understanding of the planet which caused the pandemic. We were aware that if you removed natural resources that there was a possibility of a virus transmitting from a bat into a human. But we weren't aware of the consequences on people's lives and their economy. So we need to truly understand the Earth system. Once we have that knowledge, then we can think about how we protect this planet. 
And I guess really for a lot of people, they just take nature for granted. They just take um, the planet for granted. It's particularly if you live in a wealthy country, everything's sort of there and provided, but you don't really ever think about where it came from or the process by which it was made and whether it was, you know, whether it was destructive. Or the impact. I mean, so when you put petrol in your car, you're paying for shareholders, profits, taxes to the government and some exploration costs, but you're paying not one single cent for the impact of the emissions of your petrol-driven car into the atmosphere. Singapore started with a carbon tax, but can we truly value nature? Put a dollar value to this. This is what nature-based solutions is all about. And then you can think about, then people start to react. We always react to the bottom line. Okay, so um, I, think, I think we're running out of time here. So um, next question is from uh, Wang Wai Cheng. Are we working with our neighbours to mitigate the threat of sea level rise? So I guess um, both academically and politically, um, you know, are we working with as fellow ASEAN neighbours uh, you know, you know, about emissions cuts? And I guess academically, I guess we must be as well, right? Well, academically, it's a global problem. So here in Singapore, we have to work with scientists that study the Antarctic ice sheet or the Greenland ice sheet. Singapore's part of the Arctic Council to understand the science in the Arctic. It's part of the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change. Um, next year, we're bringing international scientists for a meeting here in Singapore we're hoping depending obviously on travel restrictions but countries from around Asia and globally will be descending on Singapore in July of next year to talk about the latest science to talk about the latest adaptations we have to use all the great minds in the world from developed and developing countries to solve this problem of climate change. And Singapore's at the heart of this. Singapore has a very unique place. It's located in the tropics. It has the highest biodiversity in the marine and the terrestrial realm on its doorstep. Academically, we have two universities in the top 50 in the world, NUS and NTU, and they can fight it out whoever's top but they're world-class institutions. And in the tropical belt, there's only three in the top 50 in the world and the other one's Hong Kong. Mm. Singapore can take the lead in understanding climate impacts in the tropics. Highest biodiversity, highest population, but potentially the highest impacts from climate change. I, I guess also from the nature-based point of view, um, there's been a lot of people in the region who has been working on forestry, working on all these sort of solutions from, from all across the different stakeholders, from local communities to um, project managers to government. There's a lot of people that have been working on how to preserve forests for years, like tons of NGOs that work within Southeast Asia. So this is something that's been going on for quite a while. Right? It's, it's just that now we understand that nature has its value, right? and this value towards mitigating climate change. Right, so incorporating some of these, I mean, there's also been tons of projects within the region itself, Southeast Asia itself, that has been tackling this problem. And I guess Singapore is part of that community, that ecosystem mm. of people who want to conserve nature and mitigate climate change. Yeah. So I think as far as uh, the Centre for Climate Research Singapore is concerned, I think it is positioned to be a regional centre as uh, we go in depth into uh, understanding um, climate science, uh, especially tropical climate science. I think it will benefit the region uh, yeah, to also understand how they will be affected by the threats of sea level rise. Okay, great. Uh, now, our last question is from uh, Kong Leong. Uh, this is one for, for you, Yi Wen. Um, I think you've answered this to some extent already, but uh, no, no harm sort of going over it. Um, how do mangroves protect coastlines from sea level rise? So, so mangroves do several different things, like I mentioned before. Um, they are, well, on one end, they mitigate climate change by storing carbon, right? I've covered that. The other way that it protects is just by being there. They buffer the coastline from storms and major storm events, right? Because they are basically tree structures and they stabilize the soil. At the same time, um, they accrete uh, sediment. So they store sediment. They function as a way to um, in 
store sediment along the coastline and then increase over, over time they can increase in terms of height and that sort of balances some of the increase in sea level yeah um actually i do have one more question uh, and it's, it's quite an interesting question it's from uh uh we lang lee um how will our mrt tunnels and properties with basements be protected from flooding so i guess that's a combination of both the in intense rainfall, uh, such as what we had a few days ago, uh, but also, I guess, also the threat from rising sea levels, given we have uh, drains that are actually open to the sea, such as on the East Coast, which fluctuate. Um, so I guess, Hazel, that's, that's one for you. So PUB, we will be uh, approaching flood resilience holistically. We will not only look at uh, the threats from rising sea levels, but we also look at more intense and in fact more erratic rainstorms. Like what David has mentioned, yeah, over last Saturday, we have uh, experienced a very intense rainfall. In fact, in the western part of Singapore, we experienced a uh, we received more than 90% of the average monthly rainfall for the entire month of April. Mm. And that is something that we can expect uh, uh, more and more frequently. So for Singapore, we have uh, adopted a source, uh, uh, source pathway receptor approach towards uh, stormwater management. So for, storm, uh, for the source measures, we actually look at uh, how we can detain and capture stormwater as and when it falls onto our catchment areas. And PUB, we have been uh, looking at how we can increase and improve the capacity of our stormwater um, conveyance system through the widening and, um, widening and deepening of our drains. And last but not least, we also talk about platform levels. We have actually raised our platform levels and we are also looking at uh, crest levels and that will be particularly important for underground uh, infrastructure or development like the MRT tunnels and the basement. So we have all this in place. And on top of that, now as we are looking at um, uh, keeping the sea levels out, we will actually be looking at regional uh, coastal barriers. So uh, we have talked about like, you know, um, nature-based solutions and that, that could be effective in attenuating wave energy. But what we will need um, to really protect Singapore from rising sea levels is to have a strong barrier that yeah. keeps the sea out. Yeah. And with that regional protection, uh, we can be assured that uh, we can continue to have basement development yeah, without um, uh, compromising the resilience of our development. Any final thoughts, uh, Ben or Hiwen, before we wrap up? Like well, in Climate change is a huge problem for every single person on this planet. Mm. We are going to be entering a new normal. The rainfall that we experienced on Saturday will happen more frequently mm. and will increase in its magnitude because that's climate change. If you increase temperatures, you get more evapotranspiration from the oceans. Mm. That water vapors sat in the upper atmosphere and there's only one way it's coming down, yep. and it's coming down in intense rainfall. So a city like Singapore quite simply needs to become more resilient. But if you don't understand what you're having to be resilient to, it's very hard to adapt. So we need to quite quickly understand what are our projections on rainfall? What are our projections on sea level? How do they come together as a compound threat to make sure that people's properties are safe, make sure that our lives are safe? We need to understand the science, then we can have proper adaptations. But I'll just repeat myself. Unless we reduce our greenhouse gas emissions, there is no adaptation solution available. So just give you on rates. You mentioned earlier, David, that the, type, uh, the instrumental record in Singapore shows sea levels rising around four millimetres per year. If we don't do anything about climate change, that rate will be 30 millimetres per year in 50 years. There's not one engineering solution that can solve that, and your corals, your submerged aquatic vegetation, and your mangroves all go extinct. That's the threat. But we have the solution, the solution's the Paris Agreement. Yeah. All countries coming together, reducing our greenhouse gas emissions. The key about the Paris Agreement is keeping your temperatures below 1.5 degrees above pre-industrial. You keep your temperatures below that, 
your ice sheets don't disintegrate, your corals don't bleach, and our adaptation solutions work. I think just adding on to that, um, yeah, th there's so much that we can do on a personal level, across, you know, all, all levels of the way we live our lives, right? At the same time, there's always a very important nature component. Um, nature is not only the potential solution to mitigate and adapt to climate change, but also one of the areas that are highly under threat, right? If sea level rise and there's something behind the mangroves, the mangroves will disappear. Then we lose two things. We lose the ability to mitigate and adapt to climate change as well. So there's a need to preserve, conserve, and restore some of these really important habitats in order to combat climate change. Yeah. Great. Thank you very much. And I guess this discussion is also very timely because uh, we have Joe Biden's uh, uh, virtual climate summit featuring 40 world leaders uh, this week as well so we'll see um, how ambitious that summit will be what the pledges will be um, that will hopefully give us a better indication of the sense of global ambition to fight climate change uh, certainly ahead of the paris so the the uh, uh, glasgow uh, cop 26 uh, climate conference in november so just before we finish i'd like to express our appreciation to uh, professor horton uh, Dr. Zeng and Hazel Koo. And a, a big appreciation too, of course, a uh, big thanks to our audience who participated and joined us uh, for the session and for your questions. Um, shortly after this event, uh, please also do join us on the Clubhouse chat app from 1.45pm uh, to 2.30pm, it's about half an hour, after this webinar. Uh, the link can be found in the chat box. I'll be chatting with science and environment correspondent Audrey Tan and the host for the chat, uh, ST's mobile editor, Jeremy Aoyong, as we talk about the impact of rising sea levels on Singapore. A recording of this webinar discussion will be available on the Straits Times website later today. So if any, any of your friends missed this webinar, they can still catch the recording on the, the, on the straitstimes.com. This session is part of the Straits Times monthly webinar series. Thank you everyone for joining us and please stay safe. That was an SPH podcast by The Straits Times. Find us on Spotify, Apple or Google Podcasts or streaming on Google Home. Do feedback to us at podcast.sph.com.sg. You can also check out more podcasts on various topics at The Straits Times, The Business Times and Money FM 89.3.